good morning and welcome to Worship at Hillhead. Our service today is led by Katrina, and today we will also hear Leo, Will, and Paul F. reading scripture, Ian and Mary leading the Lord's Prayer, and shortly, Wendy will light our candle. In the music recordings, which we will use, you will hear our musicians Paul F. Yang Yang on violin and Elid on flute. I'm giving notice of a church meeting to be held immediately following morning worship on Sunday the 2nd of April. This will include updates on our discernment process and a number of administrative matters. So that's Sunday 2nd of April. On the family news, John Graham E.'s father has had a very nasty fall at home and is being cared for in hospital, and he's also got COVID. Uh, John worshipped regularly with us on Zoom during lockdown, and I'm sure he and Graham, Elaine, and the girls would all appreciate our continuous prayers. Let's also continue to pray for Alan B., who is now remaining still in hospital, waiting for a place in an interim care facility for further rehab. Neil's <coughs> C., father, is now out of hospital and recovering, so that's good news. And let's also keep in our prayers George, Holy's George, not my George, although my George I'm sure will <laughs> appreciate prayers too, um, but Holly's George is recovering from broken uh, foot. Some of you might know that already. Well, that's all I have, un unless any of you uh, have any further updates on, on health or any other uh, news, in which case do mention um, that to Katrina or any of the managers. And if you're here as a manager, maybe just wave your hand so people know who you are. You, I think. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, next Sunday morning, our worship will be led by our minister, Minister Katrina again. And now it's time for Wendy to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
as we gather, let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Creator God, as we gather this morning, we do so as your beloved creatures, each one of us unique and special, just as we are. All too easily, we find ourselves lured into making unhelpful comparisons with other people who we perceive to be more beautiful, more intelligent or more successful and end up feeling that we are somehow less than we might be. And sometimes, almost as easily, we find ourselves drawn into passing judgment on people we perceive to be less than ourselves, whether physically, intellectually or morally, and so imagine them to be less worthy or less lovable than we are. For our failures to love ourselves as you love us, and our failures to love our neighbours as ourselves, we are truly sorry. Help us to remember that you knew us from the moment of our conception, watched over us as our bodies formed in the privacy of our mother's wombs, and will never cease to watch over us even when we pass through the mystery of death. Remind us that you know us and love us, just as we are, with our imperfections, our scars, our missing bits, our mended or replaced parts, continuing to declare that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. As we worship, help us to discover what it is you want us to know of your perfect love, which you offer us in Christ. Amen. We are invited to join together in the Lord's Prayer using our own preferred language and form. Our Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
I wonder if any of you, whether here in the hotel or on Zoom, last night watched the kind of quiz game show with Michael McIntyre called The Wheel. Did anybody else apart from you watch that? Oh, good. Edith watched it. Phew. It's not just me. I think I might have seen a few hands on, on Zoom as well. So on the wheel, the idea is there are a group of celebrities around the edge and somebody comes up in the middle and they choose a category and the people around the edge spin around and they have to match. And they can they, if they get the right answers, they can get a lot of money. But there was something different last night. So anybody who saw it, and a few people have seen it, I want to tell me what was different about last night's episode of The Wheel. You, uh, Sylvia. Yeah, that the contestant was blind. Thank you. Yes, the contestant was blind. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That really fits with today's Bible story about a person who was blind. And they had to do things a bit differently because he couldn't look around and see who all the celebrities were. So Michael McIntyre had to very carefully tell him who the celebrities were. And he couldn't see the questions. So it had to be done a little bit differently. And I thought it was done quite sensitively. And at the end of the programme, he won the money, which was fantastic. Um, but I also talked a little bit about his blindness. This man was 96% blind. He could see just about light and dark but he couldn't see Michael McIntyre, who was probably as far from him as I am from Leo. So not very far at all. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of a man born blind. But to start us off, I thought we'd have a little think about our senses. So most people here, not everybody, most people here is able to see. Most people here are able to hear. But again, not everybody has got the best of hearing because age or illness or whatever has affected that. But what are our senses? And I wonder if you've got a favourite sense. What is it? Smell. smell. Okay, Lena, why is smell your favourite sense? I don't know. It just, just is. That's it fine. Is. What are your favourite smells? Now there's a hard question. Yeah. Oh, yes, ground after... There's a name for that one. I can't remember what it is, but the ground after the rain, yep. A cellar. A cellar. Yeah, that's got an interesting smell. Yeah. Anybody else got a favourite smell? Wherever you are, just wave at me if you're online, if you want to unmute or in the room, just call out. So, Linda likes the smell after the rain. She likes the smell of a cellar. Johnny, are you waving at me to say you'd like to tell me a favourite smell? Go on, go for it. You need to unmute, though. Um, okay, that looks like we've been hitting some wrong buttons. That hasn't worked. I'm not quite sure what's gone on there. Not to worry. Um, one of my favourite smells, and this just shows I'm weird, is the smell of metal when you're working it in a workshop. And I love the smell of freshly washed linen. Okay, anybody got a favourite taste? Anybody like taste is something I really like and a favourite flavour, if you like? Chocolate. Chocolate. Okay, quite a few chocolate lovers. Good. Anybody not like chocolate? <laughs> like something else not sure um favorite sounds favorite thing to listen to thing you would miss if you couldn't hear it george go for it 
Running stream, that's a beautiful, yeah, quite a uh, relaxing sound, isn't it? So we all know what our five physical senses are, but I think there are other senses as well, which we more often refer to as feelings. A sense of sadness and heaviness. Do you ever wake up feeling really, or something happens that you feel really heavy? A sense of lightness, joy, anger, bewilderment, all kinds of different senses and feelings. And they're all valid. And I guess I want to start off by saying that beauty is not the same as perfection and worth is not mentioned by physical or mental ability or disability. All of us are made in God's image, just as we are. Whether we've got broken bits and repaired bits or missing bits, whether we have extra bits, because some people even have extra bits, we are all beloved creatures of, of God. And our diver diversity is something to celebrate. We know that, but sometimes it's just good to remind ourselves that just as we are, wherever we are, however we are, whoever we are, we're valued. And so just before our youngsters go off to do their own thing, we're going to sing the next song on our sheet. Jesus put this song in our heart. First reading is from John 9. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the work day is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, Go wash 
of the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, It's him all right. But others objected, It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, It's me, the very one. They said, How did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. They said, So where is he? The man replied, I don't know. Today is the third of our series of services looking at Jesus in conversation. Already we have met Jesus in conversation with a religious leader, Nicodemus, and with a foreign woman, a Samaritan. Today we meet him in conversation with a man born blind, a man with a physical disability. We will also hear, overhear conversations between that man and his parents and the religious authorities. Just like the conversations we've already heard and thought about, this is a complicated story with multi-layers. It's also a really long story, which is why I've broken it into three chunks and we'll look at each of those individually. We will discover Jesus speaking in riddles again. We will find misunderstanding and misinterpretation. And we meet people who, as well as being who they are, can stand for parts of society. Jesus and a Jew, a man with a disability, representing, if you like, those who are disabled. The story begins with Jesus and the disciples walking along a road. And not unusually for their culture, they spot a beggar by the roadside. This man has a physical disability and we are told that he was born blind. And being shaped by their culture, the disciples ask Jesus a question. Why was this man born blind? Was it something his parents did wrong? Or was it something that he did wrong. This idea that God would punish people with physical disabilities or infirmity. 
Now, how could God know before the man was born that he was going to do something wrong and punish him up front is an interesting question in its own right. But these are the kind of questions that people in those days spent time and energy thinking about. What Jesus says is, you're asking the wrong thing. This is not a question about cause and effect. There isn't a, a, a nice answer about why the man is born blind. If we were living nowadays, we would understand the anatomy, the physiology, and we could say, well, this is a defect that caused him to be blind. But actually, they weren't asking that kind of a question. They were looking, if you like, for an ethical question, a reason, a meaning to his blindness. Now, this week, I deliberately chose the message paraphrase, because if I read this passage in a traditional Bible, it makes me very uncomfortable because Jesus actually says, no, 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 no. the reason is show that God's glory could be shown. That just really riles me up. So if that makes me a heretic and you want to burn me at the stake, feel free. But I love what the message does and says, look for what God can do. It's not trying to say this man is just a pawn in some divine game. Look, look, I can show off how wonderful God is by this poor man. It's actually saying in this situation, let's see what God can do or might do. And the healing story itself is quite a simple one and it has echoes of other stories, even going back to the Old Testament story of Naaman and the skin disease being sent off to wash. This idea of water, of cleansing and that the making of the paste is um, part of the, the ritual, if you like. Now, I don't know how that worked. I don't need to know how that worked. If you want to know how to make people blind, uh, blind people better able to see there's somebody at the back who might be able to answer your questions, but I can't. Let's not tie ourselves in knots over the mechanics of this, okay? It's a miraculous healing in the style of healings that we read about in the scriptures. I'm more interested in what happens when the poor man comes back. Because people are really oh, is that him? I mean, is it him? It looks like him. It sounds like him. But is it him? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah it's me. Honestly, honestly, folks, it's me. And I just find myself wondering how he felt. He's never seen before. He's like that man on the, the wheel game show last night. He has never seen and apparently now he can. And he must start to think, wow, this is amazing. And, and, he, and they don't recognise him. And that must be really frustrating and disappointing. Yeah, it's really me. Honestly, honestly. So they say, well, well how did it happen? Who did it? And I just love him. He says, well, a man called Jesus did this. And he told me to go and wash. And they go, well, where is he then? Where's this? If that's really true, if you've really, this has really happened to you, tell us where this Jesus is. I, I, I don't know. How can he know? He's never seen Jesus. Because he couldn't see him. Even when he was face to face with him, he couldn't see him. And he can't hear the voice around. So how can he know where he is? The people don't really seem to be able to believe him. But one of the questions that seems to come out of this for me question to ask ourselves is can we believe our eyes 
Can we take things at face value? Should we take things at face value? Or must we ask questions all the time? Must we always, to use an American word, problematize everything? We're not going to just accept it. We have to pick at it. Have we, or people we've known, ever had experiences that defy our understanding? Way, way, way back, a very, very long time, when I was a student in London in the 1980s, a friend of mine took me to a big Christian gathering. There was some, I can't remember who it was now, which is maybe not a bad thing, but some preacher who apparently had healing gifts. And as we were in the queue, somebody she knew came rushing up to her to say hello. And with her was a woman whose voice, her speech, told you very clearly that she was deaf. If you've heard deaf people speak, you'll know there's a timbre to the, the voice that comes of not being able to hear what you said. And she said that at that meeting the night before, she had gained her hearing. She had been to see her doctor who had tested her ears and she could hear. She didn't know what had happened. Maybe it was a lifelong psychological thing. Maybe something had shifted that wasn't there. Maybe it was a miracle. I don't know. But she wasn't going to pick it apart. She was just glad that now she could hear. So I just wonder, when you hear this story, this part of the story, how does it feel for you? And there's not a right and there's not a wrong. You might want to pick it apart. You might want to demythologize it. You might think it's just a nice story. You might think, well, never mind the mechanics. Perhaps it's just there to get us thinking. Perhaps it's meant to get us thinking how we think about illness and disability. Is this Jesus pushing the boundary a little bit further? Beyond nice, educated Jewish men, beyond healthy foreign people, to people with disabilities. See, this story centres on a man who has a lifelong disability. In a society where that meant in order to survive, he had to beg. But when he met Jesus, that changed. The actions of Jesus freed him from the need to beg and offered him opportunities. So I wonder how that felt. And I wonder what we might want to say to that man if we had the opportunity.
they marched the man to the Pharisees. This day, when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness, was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled the man again on how he had come to see. He said, He put a clay paste on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, Obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others countered. How can a bad man do miraculous God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it, didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, We know he is our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see, haven't a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, Ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind and told him, Give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. <laughs> he replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other. But one thing I know for sure, I was blind, I now see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, This is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is, he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And then they threw him out in the street.
second part of the story sees the man being marched to the Pharisees, the experts in Jewish theology. And straight away, they say, hmm, there's a problem here. These events have taken place on a Sabbath. And that's a problem because you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. And the spitting, the mixing, the smearing, the walking all the way to Siloam, the washing and the walking back. None of that is acceptable on a Sabbath. Not good enough. So this apparent healing must be sinful. And so they start to debate and they're torn. Some of them decide, yeah, this has got to be sinful because you're not allowed to do these things on the Sabbath. And others are saying, but this is about healing. Perhaps they're recalling those things about you could rescue your donkey or you could feed an animal or those kind of things. And, and elsewhere, we hear Jesus saying, if you can do those things for an animal, why not for a person? Some of them think it's a genuine miracle. Seeing's a good thing. So how could that happen if this is a bad person doing it? And it seems almost quite comic as you stand back from it. And then these so-called experts in theology turn around to this man and say, well, you're the expert. You tell us. It's a very strange thing to say. He says, well, look, you know what? I think this man must be a prophet. He seems to speak the truth of God. He seems to understand and see the word as God says it. Well, that doesn't go down well either, does it? There's got to be a way out of this. What do they do? And then we have one of those awful, does he take sugar kind of a moment. After all, bless him, he's disabled. I mean, he couldn't see, so he's probably a bit haggled in the brain as well, isn't he? We need to find somebody who has capacity. Let's ask his mum and dad. And so that's what they do. They go and find the parents and they ask them. And this is really intimidating for the parents, we're told, because these religious leaders have already made up their minds that anybody who dares to say that somebody is the Messiah, they're going to chuck them out. Most likely, these are peasant people, ordinary, decent people, not educated. So they have to think very carefully before they reply, because if they get thrown out, they lose their community and their friends and their support network. But they're very clever. They say, well, look, you know what? He's grown up. He is of sound mind. Go and ask him. He, his answer is going to be good enough. I wonder if we ever feel intimidated by people in authority. People who speak as if they know and understand things. And even though what they're saying doesn't feel right, it takes a heck of a lot of courage to speak out and challenge that. So the officials go back to the man and they ask him, but they're more aggressive by now. And the conversation goes round and round and round. And in the end, the man says, look, I don't know. All I do know is I was blind and now I can see. And you're just not listening to me. 
Does that ever sound familiar? That you feel nobody is listening? It's really interesting, isn't it? These are people who are physically able to see and to hear and to discuss and to debate complicated ideas, but they can't listen to this man. They can't trust that he has capacity and they're certainly not going to believe what he says. I find myself wondering, which voices do I really listen to? Do I give greater weight to the voices of people who think like I do? Do I value more greatly the voices of powerful people? Experts, politicians, pundits. But also whose voices don't I listen to? Whose ideas do I dismiss simply because of who they are? Or where they come from? Or because actually they disagree with me, how dare they? How do I weigh up what I hear? How do I wrestle with the questions and contradictions of my faith as a follower of Jesus? What is the ethic that shapes my decision-making? Just for a couple of minutes, imagine you can walk out of the door of the gathering place with that man. What might you want to say to him in that moment? Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe. 
man said, and worshipped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, Does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, If you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. story comes to its end and there is a resolution. Jesus finds the man, seeks him out and has a conversation with him. And very similar to the story of the woman at the well, we can see how the blind man goes from seeing Jesus as a man who enabled him to see, to seeing him as a prophet and finally comes to know him as the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of man. As our reflections come to a close today, I want to look at two distinct and different thoughts. (coughs) The first one, and I've already hinted at this quite a bit, is that the gospel conversation, in this gospel, sorry, the conversations Jesus has reveal very clearly that the good news is for all people. It doesn't matter what your nationality is or your race or your gender, or your ability, the good news is inherently inclusive and goes beyond any humanly defined or created boundary. We all know that, of course we do. But it's also good to remind ourselves of it because it's easy to become complacent. So we look around our church online and on site, who's missing? Who are the people or people groups who are not able to connect with us? Who might make us feel uncomfortable if they came through the door or zoomed in one Sunday? What might unsettle our (coughs) familiar Hellhead Baptist Church experience? Because the gospel is good news for all those people too. The second thought is completely different and comes from the work of a theologian and theological educator called John Hull. He did a lot of work in the area of adult Christian education and faith formation that is still seen as very important today. 
Towards the end of his life, John Hull's eyesight began to fail and he eventually became completely blind. I don't know what condition he had, but there are a number of possibilities. But as his eyesight began to fail, and particularly when he could no longer see physically, he began to see, metaphorically, scripture very differently. And he began to see how often the language of blindness is used negatively. Even though this story makes it very clear that that is not how it should be. Language is really powerful. And in losing his physical sight, John Hull gained new insight into the language he'd never stopped to think about before. And again, we all know that language matters and we do our best to be careful about the words we use so that we can include rather than exclude. And I know I'm a very much a nag when people say we're in person here because you're just as much in person up there on the screen. That's one of my nags and I know I'm annoying about it. But language does really matter. We don't intentionally demean or marginalise people but sometimes we just find it difficult to get the words right. When I was choosing the hymns for today, I was really struck how the language of sight and blindness is used within them and the potential for accidentally hurting or harming people who may be blind or visually impaired. All of our language, we need to be really careful when referring to people who are different from us. People who are differently abled. I don't even know if that particular phrase is still okay to use, but people whose abilities are different, whose gender is different, whose sexuality, race, nation or religion is different. Recently there's been some new... I'm choosing my words very carefully here and I'm expressing my political opinion here. Illegal legislation on migration... That's not the title they use, but that's the title I'm using. That legislation traces its origin to language of swarm of migrants. Gary Lindesker got into terrible trouble for saying the language that was being used was not unlike, he chose his words carefully, not unlike that being used in Germany in the 1930s. Language really matters. Language can do a heck of a lot of harm. So if I can use the language of vision metaphorically, my prayer is that God would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to have the insight that allows us to speak kindly and fairly and truthfully. May Jesus open our inner eyes to see the way he sees, our inner ears to listen to his voice, and the voices of those we exclude. And may we, who try to follow his way, live out the good news in our everyday lives. Amen.
usually at Hillhead, when we come to our prayers for others, somebody comes to the front and prays on behalf of us all using words. And that is really good. But it's only good for people who can hear. And it's only helpful for people who are familiar with it and who can concentrate. So today I am doing one of those things I do now and again and shaking it up and mixing it up and making us perhaps a little bit less comfortable. As you came in on site and and the emails that you received online was a list of prayer pointers that are our topics for today's prayers for others. The Baptist Union of Scotland from BMS World Mission from our prayer diary and our pastoral list um, and also space for your own. If you want to sit quietly and pray, that's grand, perfectly fine. If you want to do other things, to if you're on site, to use any of the resources at the back, we've got some Legos, some beads, some plasticine, bits and bobs. There's some candles here which I will put so you can use if you want to light a prayer. That's fine too. If you want to pray aloud with people sitting near you, feel free to do that. We're going to hear a piece of music that lasts about four and a half minutes. And that is the time to pray. So feel free to move around or stay put as you prefer. And at the end of that, there'll be a short period of silence. And then I will close by using the words that go with the music as a spoken prayer. So with voices, with actions, with silence, whatever it is, let us bring to God our prayers for others. Christ has no body now but ours, no hands, no feet on earth but ours. Ours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Ours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Ours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Ours are the hands. Ours are the feet. Ours are the eyes. We are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but ours. Amen.
May the wisdom of God give us insight and understanding. May the stories of Jesus challenge and encourage us. May the breath of God's spirit inspire us to love in action. And may our triune God travel with us into the week ahead. Amen.